Okay, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, I'll be reading verses 16 and 17. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Father, I plead for Your mercy the operation of Your Spirit in causing me to be clear as possible and to unfold this morning's topic. And thus we're desperate to have minds that are working, that are undistracted, and hearts that are hungry and desperate. So would you do that for us to the glory of Christ operating in the midst of our daily lives, I pray. Amen. This is week 12 in the series, The Person and the Work of the Holy Spirit. Here's an overview of what we've seen. The Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. The Gospel that has come through Jesus and the Apostles and has been recorded and the church has been preaching ever since. And we have seen that the Holy Spirit comes and He takes sinful, hell-bound people. The Gospel comes through a book or through the mouth of Christians. We hear it and then He blows His wind of the Spirit called new birth raises us spiritually from the dead. And you say, well, who are they? How do you know? Because we say from our heart, this is true. This Gospel of Jesus, dying for my sin is true. I believe that. And you realize, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. And we saw in this series that when that happens, the Holy Spirit, who is now indwelling us, has sealed us. He has locked our eternal salvation in and it is eternally forever secure. Okay. But, let's go back now that we know that. Become a Christian. At age 8, 15, 20, 47, 63, 82, whatever that is. There's a time when a person becomes a Christian and they believe. And they still have three more years until they die. Or 53 more years until they die. So this morning's topic, the question before us is this. What about that time? What are we to be seen in the Christian's life? The Bible has a term for this period of time. From new birth to death. And it's called 
sanctification. Now, I know that sanctification is a big $35 word and that a lot of us American evangelical Christians are taught that $35 theological words are not for Sunday morning preaching. They're for the classroom or for theologians. But if we think that way about this big word, sanctification, and we take the next step and, and conclude from that, it's really not that relevant to my life. It's really not that practical to my Christian living. Come on, give me something practical. Then we are already in really bad danger. You know, in, in medical science, there are lots of $35 words, 20 letter words, thousands probably, and we know almost none of them. And we don't really care. We don't know how to pronounce them. We don't know what they mean. Until you or one of our loved ones gets what one of those $35 words is pointing to when it comes to disease. And it is amazing how we're interested now. How we will study it. We will get on the internet. We will find every solution to that medical problem if there is one. Sanctification is that way. Not, not the word, but the reality to which that Bible word points. So, what is sanctification? What does it mean? Okay. At the core, the word means to make holy. Okay. You mean by make holy? It's used two main or basic ways in the Bible. The first way would be when God has the tabernacle uh, blueprints, how to build it, and then the furniture that goes in it, and then He would say, you take these parts of the tabernacle, these furniture that I'm having you construct, and then there's a time where we sanctify it. We sanctify the table of bread. We, we, in other words, means we set it apart. We, we make it holy, separate from other things unto the Lord. Okay, that's one use. And when that use is used of us Christians, which it is in the Bible, a person is born again. There's a sense in which you have been, past tense, sanctified. You are, actually Paul calls us that, a form of the word uh, in the Greek for sanctification is the word saint or holy one. And you say it all, to the saints in such and such city. We're holy. We are separate unto the Lord. There's a second sense, which is the main sense in which we are talking about this morning, that the word sanctification has to do with this large biblical teaching of sanctification, meaning an ongoing process of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life Making us, molding us, shaping, pounding, chiseling us into more and more of the image of Christ during this life. Causing in us repentance and obedience and repentance and obedience. Purging us from besetting sins 
causing us to see and taste of victories that the Holy Spirit of God is working in each and every believer's life. Summed up, sanctification as a whole, there's actually really three parts of it. There's the first stage, which is the stage we're talking about this morning, from new birth until death. It's when He's operating in us, often painfully, with lots of joy, but He's working His righteousness through us in this life. Then there's a second stage. When you die, if you're a believer, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And at that moment, you will be completed in your soul. You will be purged of your sinfulness. It won't be there anymore. You will lay it aside. And then there's stage three, which even the Apostle Peter and Paul are still waiting for, as we are. And that's the resurrection of the body the second coming of Christ, when our sanctification will be completed. Okay, so our discussion this morning is on that first stage. Sanctification in this life. To help clarify at the beginning, I want to take sanctification and put it up against another very important New Testament word. Justification. The doctrine, the teaching in the Bible of justification by faith alone means at that very moment we are born again. Come to saving faith in Christ. We have been instantaneously, once and for all, justified. Meaning, Christ's cross in bearing the guilt of sin and being punished for it has been put to our account in Jesus' perfect human life. Perfect obedience where you and Adam failed is put to your account in the judicial system of the Godhead forever justified. Not only are you forgiven of all your sins forever, you are also viewed by God as perfectly, positively righteous. As if you lived your 37 years sinlessly, like His Son did. Because what His Son did is put to our account. That is justification. At the moment a human being comes to saving faith in Jesus, you're absolutely just before God. The way He views you. You can never become more righteous in that sense when it comes to your position before God. Sanctification, on the other hand, does not refer to our legal standing, our positional righteousness before God. God, it doesn't, it refers to an ongoing process being worked out in our daily life. It refers to the subjective, experiential, internal being worked on by the Holy Spirit in our walk with the Lord. It is a process, and you can be more sanctified tomorrow. 
than you are today. Summary, justification is that objective reality. It's outside of you. It's in God. We're talking about something in God toward us, not in you. Justification refers to that thing in God towards you because of Christ. You're perfectly righteous. Sanctification, on the other hand, is the subjective experience going on inside of us during this life. Clear? Next question is this. Is it important? Should we be so concerned whether or not we are being sanctified today, this week, next month? Here's my answer to the question. If a person is not being sanctified by the Holy Spirit in this life, that person will never go to heaven. They will not be in the resurrection of the just. Here's one reason why I say it. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Church, God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit. That's what Jesus is doing. That's how He saves. He saves for this purpose. Salvation through sanctification. You, you know the tunnel at LAX going underneath the runway in Sepulveda? It's like this. When you're born again is the El Segundo side of the tunnel. You just entered the tunnel. Your life is new. There is a future aspect to salvation that is not yet And it's on the north side of the tunnel when you come out. And there's one way to get there. You can't climb up and run across the runway over top. You won't make it. There's only one way to get to the salvation on the other side. And it's through the tunnel of sanctification. That's what Paul tells us here. Or the Hebrew writer says it this way in chapter 12, verse 14. Strive. Okay, hold on. Can I say it more adamantly? That's what the word means. Strive for peace with everyone and strive for the holiness. The same word as sanctification. For the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. If In this life, a churchgoer has never been experiencing any striving for holiness. They will never, ever see the Lord. Peter opens up his first epistle this way. To those who are the chosen, the elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctification of the Spirit. 
for obedience to Jesus Christ. And that obedience to Jesus Christ is another way of him describing the life of sanctification going on in those who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. In chapter 5, verse 9 of Hebrews, the writer says, Jesus became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. And so our pursuit of sanctification is crucial. Because without that pursuit of sanctification in our lives, we may prove to have been false believers and we will not enter the kingdom of God and it will become clear that we were never His. Now, last week, the sermon was on eternal security. We saw in Ephesians 1 that all, every single believer in Christ has been sealed. And the presence of the Holy Spirit in them is the guarantee that they will not miss out on heaven, on the eternal inheritance. So here's the question. Is it a contradiction to say, God sealed you forever the day you became a believer, the day you entered the tunnel at LAX, and then to say, oh, you will not ever ever see the Lord. You will not make it to the end of the tunnel if you don't make it to the end of the tunnel. Up. Without sanctification going on in your life. A life of repentant faith. Is that a contradiction? If you were to say, oh yeah, I believe in God's sovereignty over my salvation. Yes. Out of the blue, He sovereignly grabbed me and chose me. And, and, and as Jesus said, the wind blew. I don't know where it came from. Where it went. I was born again. And He brought me to faith. And now He sealed me in the Holy Spirit. Yes, I believe all that. But when it comes to how I now live my life, whether I obey Christ and live in repentance when I disobey, all of that rest of my life is all my doing. Not up to the sovereign God. If you said that, then those statements are a contradiction. But that's just not biblical. The biblical truth is that the same God who chose you and called you and brought you to faith and sealed you and guaranteed you for eternity is the same God who says it is necessary to go through the tunnel of sanctification in order to receive the prize and the gift. In other words, the guarantee of eternal security and the guarantee of being sanctified in this life are all wrapped up into one big ball of saving wax. Ultimately, all of it, all of it, every step you make through the tunnel is owing to God and His sovereign grace. So having said that, okay, I just just go to sleep and he'll do it. He will, if you're true. 
But He does it through means. And part of the means is asking this question. What do we do? Are we to know anything? Or do we to, to move? Are we to be instructed in any way? And the answer biblically is yes. But the answer is not simply this, because this is what I'm not going to do at first. Yeah, here it is. Now, here's the life of a Christian of sanctification. I'll give you a list of things to do. And go do them. Because you can do them. You can do lots of good, even Bible command things and never be being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do first is I want to go underneath those doings to the motive going on in our hearts in living the daily Christian life. So to do that, I want you to turn to our text. Galatians chapter 5. The word sanctification is not here. But what we're going to see in this chapter, this is the life of sanctification. Look towards the end of the chapter first, at verse 25. Paul writes and he says to us, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. There's the answer of what to do. When you wake up tomorrow morning, wake up and walk by the Spirit. Okay, we can close in prayer and go home. I know, because it's, we, we struggle. What does that mean? What do you mean, walk by the Spirit? How do I do it? Okay, I'm going to be, I think I'm safe in saying, one thing that just means is, as you, as you go about your day today, and you go about your day tomorrow, it means endeavor to do work, act, marriage, raising kids, business. What, do, endeavor to do everything you do by the power, the influence of God the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. Okay, but I still need more help. What does that mean? Alright, so what I want you to do is look in the same chapter, at the other place in Galatians 5, where Paul uses the same phrase, walk by the Spirit. Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay, follow him. He's saying very clearly right here that walking by the Spirit is the opposite of gratifying the desires of the flesh. Now, by flesh, Paul here does not mean this stuff wrapped around my bones. He means our natural sinful inclinations with which we were all born into this world. Like Ephesians 2. All born as children of wrath because we're all guilty and sinners and we followed after the lust and the passions of the world and the body. It was just, it, sin is natural. Okay, but then something happened if you're a believer. We got born again. The Holy Spirit came in us and He gave to us something we did not innately have and that uh, is new desires for God 
to embrace His Son. To love His command. They're there. But see, here's the thing now. When that new birth, new desires happen in a sinner's life and they come to Christ, the old desires of sin, rebellion, remain in every true believer. Until you die. And that means this life, the tunnel, is a bloodletting battle. Paul says that we Christians are walking by the Spirit, and those moments when we are walking by the Spirit the last three minutes, what that means is that we are not fulfilling these other desires that are trying to take precedent in our life while we're walking by the Spirit. We are not gratifying, meaning acting upon real desires that are against God. And they're sinful. He calls them of the flesh. Look at how Paul lays this out now in the next verse, in verse 17 of Galatians 5. And let me just start again at verse 16 and feel the flow. But I say, Christian, wake up every day and do this. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What in the world is your vision of Christianity, Paul? He explains. That's what the word for there is for. For, here's my explanation. The desires of the flesh in you are against the desires that the Holy Spirit is putting in you. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other in order to keep you from doing the things you want to do. This is the Christian life right there. Every genuinely born again person has this life as their battle. No human being on planet earth right now who has not been born again has this battle. Oh, don't get me wrong. They battle. They want to be more moral. They want to, and they got, and God gives them a conscience to one degree or another. Yes, I understand that. But whatever's going on in their life outside of Christ, it is not the battle of sanctification by the Holy Spirit that Paul lays out here. The Christian life is essentially every day you wake up and you have sinful desires of the flesh which are saying to you, find your satisfaction in these thoughts. In these actions. Ruminate more on what that person did for you and plan how you're going to cut them today. This is the normal Christian. Every day you wake up, whatever these things are, from sexual lust 
to unforgiveness, to backbiting, to hurting, to stealing, whatever it is, these things are there to one degree or another to rise up from your flesh and say, find your satisfaction in fulfilling those desires. In other words, find your satisfaction in anything other than in God, in Christ, in the Gospel, in being led by the Spirit. And while we have that daily battle, God says, I say that very confidently, got a book right here. He says, don't do that. Don't give in to that sin. Don't follow those desires. But often we find our desires scream at me and say, I want to follow this desire. It's really, really tempting and strong. Which is just another way to say whether we Christians want to admit it. It's just really good to be clear. Right now, I want to break your command. God, Jesus, that's what I want to do. If you are a true Christian, this is your daily experience. Or you're, you're just living in some crazy, deceptive world that is having desires to come up and try to win your affections away from your affections for Christ in His Word. That's what Paul says to us. He says, the flesh, all of our fleshes, our sinful nature, is producing one kind of a desire in us. And the Holy Spirit is producing another kind of desire in us. And it matches the Bible. That's what Paul clearly tells us in verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to one another. And thus the command of the Christian life is, But I say, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, walk is a metaphor. It's a metaphor for how you function in this world. It's what it is. How you live. How you do everything you do. If you're single, it's a metaphor for how you deal with your sexuality as a single person. Just for one thing. If you're a married person, it's how you do your marriage. How you treat your husband. How you treat your wife, how you raise your children, how you deal with friends, how you deal with strangers, how you deal with business, how you deal with contracts that you sign. It is how you live, walking by the Spirit. When we take a step in the Spirit or by the Spirit... I want you to think about what I'm going to say and you think if it's not true with your life because I don't think there's any argument against it. When we take a step, I've walked by the Spirit those last five minutes, it means we had followed after the strongest desire we had at that given moment. Which happened to be the one the Spirit has placed in our hearts at that moment and it superseded all these other desires of sin or of the flesh. Simply put, every move, every act, 
every decision you ever make is always based upon the strongest desire at that given moment. So what we have learned at this point now in Galatians 5 so far is that walking by the Spirit is not doing a bunch of stuff so that you can get the Holy Spirit on your side. Walking by the Spirit refers to the things that you do because, as the text says, He has produced desires in you. And you acted on that one. Instead of competing desires of the flesh. And when you act on the desires of the Spirit, look how you are a blessing in that act of love. You, to the extent you understand what's happening, will never boast. Ultimately, every step through the tunnel of sanctification is owing to the cross of Christ and to the application of it of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because you moved and you took another step only according to the text because of the Holy Spirit's placing desires in you. And if he doesn't, you don't take that step. If the Holy Spirit is not imparting those desires, then all we are is flesh. And thus all we are is hostile to God. That's how Paul put it. If you live according to the flesh, just the flesh, put the Spirit aside, the Holy Spirit aside, you live according to the flesh without the Spirit, you are. Your mind is, everything about you is hostile to God, Romans 8, 7. Not only that, you cannot submit to God's law, he says. So, there's the big picture. You come to saving faith in new birth, and you realize that's sheer, 100% mercy. He raised me from the dead. And I know that because the evidence is He has put within me new desires that were foreign to me. To love God. To love the Gospel. To repent from my sin. To turn. That is all the work of the Spirit placing new desires in us. And as we saw last week, He sealed me. He's guaranteed me. He wants His children to live in this confidence assurance of our salvation. Because he says, what this means is that you're sealed is that in this new life, the Holy Spirit is ongoingly producing in you alien desires. It means they're, they're not from you. It means they're not innate. They're not inborn in you. What's inborn in you is your flesh. He's promising, this is why every Christian will make it, I am producing alien, righteous, obedience to Christ and the Word desires in you. That's the Christian life. If you've come in here this morning and you have had any taste of genuine worship of God, that is owing to God's 100% mercy in your life.
And so the Christian life is, I love God. It's such a great day. Go to sleep. You wake up. Well, alarm didn't go off in time. You're, you're off doing your job or work or with kids or whatever you're doing. And then this is the Christian life. Oh, no. I did it again. I can't believe I sinned that way again. What I've been thinking about. I've acted out in uncontrolled anger, screaming at God. I didn't do the words, but my actions screamed at Him. I don't trust your sovereign purposes in my life. Okay, this is your life. You're a Christian, though. What happens? I don't know how much time goes by. The Holy Spirit causes your conscience to go. Ding. And repentance rises. Oh, Jesus. Thank God for 1 John 1, 9. I know that I, my, my, I have lost no standing with you, Jesus, because you're my righteousness. Oh, but, okay, now, who do I need to go to, or if I do, but... Thank you. Oh, I'm clean. Help me now. As we walk through the rest of the day. Every time that happens, every time we come into repentance, put it this way, every time you give in to obedience to Christ, obedience to the Word of God, it is because desires were produced first by the Holy Spirit in you at that given moment that brought you to repentance. This Christian walk, this Christian battle that I'm trying to describe is what the New Covenant promised. This is how Ezekiel prophesied it hundreds of years before Christ in chapter 36. God says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will put My Spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in My statutes. I will cause you to be careful to obey My rules. And Jesus purchased that new covenant. The New Covenant promise is clear. The only reason you will be being sanctified through the tunnel in this life, the only reason you will be finding portions of obedience to Christ and repentance from sin in your daily walk of Christ is because of the prior, I mean 33 seconds before, or three minutes before, the prior action of the Holy Spirit producing and carrying you through this life. And thus you act. And I obeyed. Where did that come from? I will place my Spirit in you and cause you to obey. Now, let's go back. If, you're not, if you left chapter 5 of Galatians, go back to chapter 5 of Galatians and let's now see how Paul continues on in his thought process here explaining the Christian life of sanctification. See, if we get this dynamic, the underlying dynamic of what's happening in how we act out in life, that is it, the realm of desires, then what he's going to say in verse 18, I think will make sense to us. 
Because I think a lot of times when you read it the first time, it just doesn't, what are you talking about? So let, let's see it. Start again with verse 17. We'll go into verse 18. For the desires of the flesh, they're against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. I notice first the transition in his terminology. From verse 16, he says, Christian, you do this. Walk by the Spirit. Then in verse 18, he's got it in the passive form. If you are led by the Spirit. He's not talking about two different things in the Christian life. He's talking about one thing. And I think what he's doing is clarifying what it means to walk by the Spirit. It means to be led by the Spirit. In your Christian life, we never lead the Holy Spirit. He leads us. To be led by the Spirit and to walk by the Spirit are saying essentially the same thing with different nuances. To be led by the Spirit is emphasizing the gracious initiative of God, the Holy Spirit, in our life. And to walk by the Spirit thus shows us, oh, I did that. Take another step by the Spirit. That all the praise and all the glory is owing to the initiative of the Holy Spirit who has given you the cause to do that action. That leading of the Holy Spirit, if you're following what I think is Paul here, okay, I hope I'm saying what Paul's saying, if you're following, that's what helps us understand the second part of verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. World is he talking about? What does that mean? Not under. If I'm led by the Spirit, kind of seems to imply I am under law. If I'm not led by the Spirit, what does he mean? I think what he's referring to about being under law is at least at least two senses or nuances that he's getting at. The first is if just think about it, moment by moment. In that moment, the strongest desires, I'm being led by Him. That means that's what I choose. That's what I wanted to. That's easy. In that sense, when you live like that, you acted that way during that period of time, on that day right there, you were not under the condemnation of the law in any way. If I tell my children, okay, while, while we're gone, I don't want anyone turning on the TV... None of them have to be under the law if their desires fully agree with that command. They're not under the condemnation or the judgment of the law that will come down on them. But if they're not walking by the spirit of mom and dad, they feel what's coming. Now, to try to see this, what I want, I want you to turn. I'm still on this first point. What does it mean to be under the law? I think it means not to be under the condemnation of what the law brings if you're walking by the Spirit. 
I want you to turn to Romans 8 for a moment. Romans 8, we read verses 1 to 4. Paul here, same writer, writes, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why, Paul? Answer, because the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Explain, Paul. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, our flesh, could not do. Okay, wait. Stop there for a minute. For God has done what the law. What do you mean law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do not have sexual relations with any human being who is not your spouse. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. If you accidentally run over your neighbor's donkey, it's your moral responsibility to replace it. Or your neighbor's car. Not just legal. More. This is law. He writes here, For God has done what the law... Now listen to him. Weakened by the flesh. That's us. That's our sinful nature. We by nature hate God and the law. That's what he's saying. The law therefore benefited us in no way, but condemned us. That's all it could do. God has done though what the law, weakened because of our flesh, could not do. So we see our flesh can do nothing. But he says, what did he do? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, though he wasn't sinful himself, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Now, what Paul has been talking about in the book of Romans up to this point, he has laid out the core of the gospel of justification by faith in Christ alone. Nothing we do, nothing, no steps of sanctification that we take. One thing, the Holy Spirit blows, and I'm alive. And he says, it's done, it's over. Condemnation is absolutely removed. He has made this crystal clear up to this point, and that's why he starts off with, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But how do you know you're one of them? The answer in the text is because you are being sanctified. Condemnation is removed. Justification is yours. You stand perfect before Almighty God, clothed in Christ's righteousness. Who? Believers. Say the same thing. Those who are being sanctified. That's who. Let me just... Okay, if just hold with me. Let me just read Paul and listen and see if you don't hear it. Start with verse three. For God has done what the law, weakened by our flesh, could not do, just condemned us. 
He's done it how? By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh. This is all done on our behalf now. He's made this clear. Justified. But look at verse 4. Why did He do this? In order that you would walk through and make it to the other side of the tunnel. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Us who? Us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That fulfilled, in order that it may be fulfilled in us, does not refer to Jesus' imputed righteousness here, which is so precious, that truth. That's already done at this point. He's talking those who live or walking in a particular direction. Something's happening in their life in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. He does not mean perfection, but he means something is happening in obedience to Christ that is different than before. You're walking not according to your natural sinful desires, which are there. Doesn't mean you don't give in to them, but that's not your life. You live a repentant life. And then, boom, look at that. It's amazing. Up and down, up and down, going through this life of sanctification. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. In us who who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, over the next few days, to the extent that the Holy Spirit mercifully allows me to love the command, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. To the extent that is in any degree fulfilled truly from my heart and then to my actions, it is absolutely owing to the sanctification of God, the Holy Spirit producing that in me or in you. That, and, and in that sense, at that moment, it's clear. Of course I'm not under condemnation. I'm one of His. You can see the fruit. You can see fruit. You don't see perfection. Oh, you see sin. This is the Christian life. hope this is becoming clear. Paul was very clear. Your life is a battle against your innate desires of sinfulness until you die battle is the sign you're real. The second sense in which you are not under the law is a sense of the, at those moments, because he says when you walk by the Spirit, you're not under law. At that moment, you're walking by the Spirit, you're not under law in the sense of the law is no burden to you whatsoever. <laughs> it's like someone saying, here's a command, eat these chicken enchiladas your wife makes. You know, great. Oh, what a burden. It's a lot. It's no blah at all. I love it. Eat some sea bugs Tony cooks up. 
That's a burden. Walking by the Spirit means at those moments you're walking by the Spirit, it is the Holy Spirit producing desires that are stronger at that moment than competing desires of your flesh. Okay, I just want to say it slowly and deliberately and let it sink in. That battle is the genuine Christian life. Paul says it one more time this way. So let's sink in. But I say, Christian, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed within you to one another in order to keep you from doing that what you really want to do. Sounds like Romans 7, doesn't it? Well, let's just keep reading. I'll just stay right there now because what Paul does is he says, let me give you some generalized ideas of what the, the tunnel looks like as opposed to those who try to go around the tunnel and run across the runway or something like that. He goes on, next verse, 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh, remember that there are desires of the flesh, and desires produce acts. Or unless you resist those desires and don't give in to them and gratify them. But when you do gratify them, he says, they, here, here's an example of what it looks like in your life. The works of the flesh are clear. Sexual immorality. That means any sexual contact with another person. You're not married to. Impurity. Sensuality. Idolatry. Sorcery. Enmity. Strife. Jealousy. Fits of anger. Rivalries. Dissensions. Divisions. Envy. Drunkenness. Orgies. And all kinds of other things that are like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, those who live such a way will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. What do you mean there's no law, Paul? There's no law against loving people. That's what he's saying. And you love people and you act kind toward them? There's no law against kindness. God didn't make a law. Don't be kind. That's what he's saying. You're not under law if you're looking by, we're living by the Spirit. Well, what does it look like if you're living by the Spirit? Well, it's amazing. It's written here. So to not be under law as a Christian does not mean you don't obey God's commandments. It never has meant that. 
means you don't obey him in the flesh. You obey him by the Spirit, which is the evidence that Christ is justified. You see, when he gives the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, remember the whole context. He's saying, don't just look at the acts. This is really important for every one of our lives. Look at what other people can't see. Before you act, you and God alone know what's going on. Look at your desire factory. That's where sinful acts are birthed. He's clear. The reason people act out, and then, yes, I'm going to be a drunk. I'm going to commit sexual immorality. I'm going to be strifeful in that relationship. I'm going to be... And you go on and on. Is because those acts are birthed from something that has been fomenting in there before you acted and you failed to deal with. But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not give in to, gratify the desires of the flesh. For this, Paul says, is your battle. The Spirit's placing desires by His presence in you and your sinful nature by God's sovereign providence in this life is still there and He wants this battle for His eternal glory. And it's going to work out that way for every Christian, but this is your battle. Don't wait for actions. One more thing to mention. If you think about, and I think there's, you can say all kinds of other fruits of the Spirit, just like the flesh, it's not, lim- it's not limited but there's some core things there. And think about what Paul has listed about the fruit of the Spirit. It's essentially the fruits of loving other people. There, it's, I'm going to be really careful. It's almost, what does it look like to walk by the Spirit? It almost looks, it's almost equal to loving other people. Which I mean be kind to them. Be patient, like you would want them to be patient. But I say almost why. Because you can look at fruit and kindness and joy and goodness, and you can see that in pagans, too. I mean, on the natural realm. You can see all that kind of stuff, can't you? Well, the first one, of course, he lists is love. People can do all kinds of acts and it not be the fruit of the Holy Spirit of love. Isn't that what Paul very clearly says in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. But I say walk, excuse me, if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, I sacrifice my life for others, but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul, how in the world could you give away all your stuff to other people? And it not be love. How could you say that? 
I think the reason he could say it is because he understood the gospel. He knows what the gospel is. And he knows you can do all these acts externally and it not be birthed by God, the Holy Spirit, in sanctification of a justified person. Our biggest struggle in the Christian life is not, okay, I just I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to how I'm supposed to live. What does it mean to love? That stuff's so clear, it's listed. I'm not going to give you a list. It's just right there. It's just listed. So look at the list throughout the Bible. But that's not our real big struggle. We might pretend it is, sometimes it's not. Our biggest struggle is just living by it. Our biggest struggle is how do I do that when my natural bents are so opposed to the fruit of the Spirit of loving others in this way or that way or that way. That is our biggest struggle. And here's the large point though. To the extent we are battling the flesh and living the fruit of the Spirit, so much of which is seen from the vertical with God, now outflowing to others and loving others, that is what Paul has said earlier in this sermon God chose you from the beginning for salvation through the walk through the tunnel tunnel of sanctification. Now, I'm going to close with trying to be a little bit more practical. I think the most practical thing I can do is say, how do I get us to not merely have the list of do? Oh, lists are really important. But not merely the do, but to underneath the list of what Paul's talking about. How do I battle with the level of desire? And so that I see myself walking through the tunnel of sanctification better. What I'm going to do, I'm going to give you an acronym that I learned about 15 years ago from John Piper. The acronym is APTAT. A-P-T-A-T. A, acknowledge. P, Pray, T, trust, A, act, and T, thanksgiving. To do that, let me just illustrate a, 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 a fleshly sinful battle in my life. You can put all kinds of struggles with sin, lack of bearing the fruit of the Spirit, but it is, this is helpful in your quiet time with God and how do I battle this. So, here's my natural battle. I, if I don't walk by the Spirit consciously, I, like computer, go into a default mode. My default mode is to be stressed out and to be gruff. Lack of kindness or tenderness with my wife without even thinking about it. And you would think, what are you talking about? I enjoy you. I love you. My way I act. It just goes that way. A. Wake up. Acknowledge with your sin like I do with mine. God, I'm hopeless without you. If I just go into default mode, I'm hopeless. I see my brokenness in my sin. 
without the work of your Holy Spirit in me today. Help us acknowledge your plight. That's A. P. Pray. Pray the Word. Like Ezekiel 36. Father, you said, I will put my Spirit within you, Joe. I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Father, cause me. You, please cause me today to be so conscious and filled with desires of Your Spirit to obey the command to be kind and tender to Sonia. No matter what her day or my day is like. Pray like Paul in 1 Thessalonians 3.12. And may the Lord make you increase. And abound in love. Do you believe that? I believe that. My understanding is of the gospel from beginning to the end that if God doesn't answer that prayer, then I won't abound or increase in love. Or pray the way Hebrews 13.21 prays. May the God of peace Equip you. We're asking Him to do something for us. Equip you with everything good so that you may do His will. I'm hopeless unless you do it and equip me. Working, He's working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ to whom be the glory forever. So equip me to act tenderly toward my See, if we understand this process of sanctification in our daily lives, it is His Spirit. We're desperate for filling us and fomenting stronger desires. If we understand that, I think we will actually pray easily more like King David. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Oh, wipe that sin away. Take not your Holy Spirit, but renew in me today a right spirit. Aptat. A, P, and now T. Then trust. Trust God. That means you must fill yourself with His Word. You cannot trust any person if you don't know what it is you're trusting. You have to understand, especially in particular battles, grab some commands and some promises with them and say, I trust the truth of this working in my life. Like Philippians, God, You promised that You have begun a good thing in me. You will complete it. You wake up every day with this new hope. Today, You will be completing this in me. Oh, Father, You said in Romans 6, for sin, Joe, will not have dominion over you since you are not under law, but you're under grace. Father, I'm under Your grace. Don't let sin dominate me in this, that, or the other area. You promised, Father, all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. 
Father, I love your son. I know I'm yours. I've watched you produce fruit in my life. I'm genuine and I have your promise. You're going to lead me by your spirit today. You pray his word. Aptat. A-P-T. Trust and now A. The second A. Notice the second A which means act. Do what God says to do. This second A did not come first here. If it comes first, it becomes legalism. But as your heart is acknowledging, I cannot. I pray you can. I got your word on it as I pray it to you. And now you don't wait. You just, you do. You do. So, for instance, I take Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. That's impossible. No, no, no. Love is great, right? We like being in love. That's not what this text says. That text Trust me, Jesus did not go to the cross for the sheer joy and pleasure there was in the cross. He never would have gone there. He went to the cross to meet the need of the church, His bride. That means there are unpleasant things that our flesh says, no way, unless that is a loving thing for her. That's impossible without habitat, which is just Bible and the Holy Spirit sanctifying and working. Or, or Paul writes in Colossians 3.19, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Act. It means now you just, you do it. Do it. And then there's the T. Aptat. You give thanks. Give thanks as you're walking down the tunnel with assurance you know you're going to make it. If you trust the gospel, the more fruit there is, the more assurance you have because you're begging Him, you're relying on Him, and you're thankful, thankful for every piece of fruit in your life come. As we're singing, I don't know in what different ways the Holy Spirit's working in different lives with different battles. Let Him continue to work as we are preparing our hearts for all baptized Christians. We're preparing our hearts to receive the body and the blood of Christ who purchased this sanctification. He purchased Every step will walk from the south side to the north side of the tunnel.